Welcome to RCV Clips, short recordings and interviews designed to introduce listeners to helpful tools and brief explanations about ranked choice voting and how this voting method works. These clips are produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center, a compilation of best practices and first-hand experiences from jurisdictions that have used ranked choice voting, also known as RCV. The website, www.rankedchoicevoting.org, and the overall project serve as resources for election administrators, voters, policymakers, candidates, and for anyone who wants to learn more about ranked choice voting. We are not advocacy-focused. Rather, we aim to provide resources that allow jurisdictions to implement RCV effectively and efficiently. The RCV Resource Center team is comprised of former election administrators who have conducted statewide, municipal, and district RCV elections. Welcome to the February 2019 episode of RCV Clips. I'm Chris Hughes, a member of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center team. Today, I will be talking with my colleagues George Gilbert and Karen Brinson-Bell about their experience testifying about ranked choice voting before city and state legislative bodies. For 25 years, George oversaw elections in Guilford County, North Carolina, and Karen, in her decade of elections administration experience, worked on both the state and county level. Both share their experience administering ranked choice voting elections as part of their work with the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. Thanks, George and Karen, for sitting down with me today. Glad to do it. Uh, Happy to be here. Thank you. So let's start at the very beginning. What is testimony? Who are you testifying to when when you're giving testimony? I think that testimony actually has a pretty broad meaning when we when we use that term. Um, it can be anything from remarks that we make to a legislative body or policymakers. Uh, presentations we've done that. We've given testimony as expert witnesses. We've been asked to come and do public comment during uh, a legislative hearing, for example. We've been asked for even written testimony or report or response. That might be even in conjunction with um, the the public uh, presentations. And then sometimes it's just that we're available for questions after we've completed any number of those things as part of our testimony. And in terms of who we give the testimony to, it's it's a number of entities. It can be a legislative committee, a study commission, county or municipal councils, and even charter review commissions are now part of who we have gone before. Okay, yeah. And, and just in terms of what we're trying to accomplish, um, in testimony, uh, and particularly oral testimony. In written testimony, you can be more detailed, but uh, and particularly in oral testimony, it's it's rare that you have sufficient time allotted to really go into depth uh, regarding the issue that you're testifying on. So uh, if you can offer some plausible glimpse of what you believe to be true, that can often crack the door open for the whoever the policymaker is to to pursue it further and in my experience that you know if if you can just neutralize the prejudices or clarify a few misconceptions in that oral testimony you've accomplished a lot so george i guess we'll turn to you specifically now you were in the state of washington last week to present to their house committee on state government and tribal relations about a local options bill for ranked choice voting how did you see your role when you were presenting? Were you asked uh, to present anything in particular to the committee? Well, yeah, I, I was asked to provide specific 
uh, uh, to address specific issues and specific things. Yeah, I was supposed to explain to the committee in less than 10 minutes what ranked choice voting is and how it's been implemented in other jurisdictions. Uh, I attempted to do that, um, <laughs> in my opinion, not with great success, but <laughs> fortunately my co-panelist, Casey Carl, uh, from Minneapolis, came, in my view, came closer to what we really needed to do in that he presented just what were the actual effects of ranked choice voting in Minneapolis. Um, I explained more of the technical detail of what it involved, uh, but I don't think that it's all that important for policymakers to know how it works. They need to be convinced that it's not going to hurt them and that it's doable. How did you prepare to testify before the committee? Well, I really, what I did was I tried to, you know, I took the knowledge that I had of, of how ranked choice voting works and, and tried to simplify that in a few slides uh, and in a, a few examples. Um, but even doing that, it gets a little bit too technical for a 10-minute presentation. Mm -hmm. That's why I say I didn't feel like I maybe covered it quite as effectively as I could have. Um, I also spent a lot of time, though, uh, reading up on, you know, what are the myths about ranked choice voting? Because I know that these people have been told that it's, it's this problem and that problem and that problem. And in my view, those are the things that they are focusing on. They're willing to focus on in just that few minutes. And uh, if I could have reshaped my testimony, that's really probably what I would have focused on. Uh, is, is this too complicated? Is this uh, confusing? Is this too expensive? And those are the kind of things that I think they were really interested in hearing about. Right, easing their concerns about how this would impact voters. Karen, you were recently on hand for a Virginia Civic Committee and were part of a panel this week before the New York City Charter Revision Commission. What has been your role in these sessions when you're testifying? I'll try not to be long-winded about this because they actually have two different roles, uh, and both are actually great examples of when I've been asked to represent the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center and, and, and what roles we can serve in the process. With Virginia, Senator Evans sponsored an RCV bill in the state Senate this session. And prior to filing, he asked for our insight on things like RCV capabilities of the voting equipment, election night reporting, and rules that have been adopted by other jurisdictions. And because of this preliminary work, I was asked to be on hand to answer more technical or election administration-specific questions before the Senate committee um, and anything that they might have along those lines. With New York City, they have a charter revision commission in place because of the city council or established by the city council. And we've been working with the commission staff to provide information to the commissioners as they weigh whether or not to recommend RCV as a voting method for New York City. And with this work, I was asked to be a part of an expert panel this week where we each made short remarks, three minutes specifically, then answered questions posed by the commissioners for about 30 minutes. The commissioners are really in an information gathering phase, so we are helping to answer their questions and concerns and provide research and best practices as they need so that they can form their recommendation. They are not um, elected officials on this commission. They are appointed, and so they're making recommendations back to the city council. 
And did you have to, uh, feel, did you feel like you had to prepare differently for these two different contexts where you were on hand? In some regards, um, the, the Virginia bill was a local option bill. So I had to be aware of, of what each locality can, can do in Virginia in terms of their voting equipment capabilities, um, Things of that nature, even the the size of the jurisdiction can have an impact when you're looking at that kind of local option bill. And then, of course, with New York City, they really make a comparison to the runoff, uh, the the use of runoffs or whether to uh, do away with that. And in a city the size of New York, um, that's that's a really interesting thing that that we did some research and and background on. Mm-hmm. And Looking back for both of you uh, at these recent experiences when you've been testifying, are there any common threads or questions that come up from uh, from the panel that you're testifying to? Uh, yeah, I think so. And in, in my experience, probably the most common things are really the myths that exist regarding, say, the complexity or of, of RCV or confusion. Uh, among voters uh, or candidates or, or the cost, uh, what additional costs there might be. And these, interestingly, these are generally brought to the attention of policymakers by their own election officials, uh, and who most often have little or no experience with ranked choice voting. I don't know, they're just passing on whatever negative assertions they found on the internet or at some conference, I assume. And uh, possibly because they're threatened by the prospect of having to do something new or different, uh, or at least it's new and different for them. But probably the those myths about cost, complexity, confusion are the things that keep coming up over and over in the questions that I've had to address. I think George has a really good response to that. I, I agree with what he said and would only add that where some of those myths or misinformation seem to be coming from is ranked choice voting and the administration of the voting method have really evolved over the past few years. And a lot of the information that is out there is, is dated at this point. And it's hard to think that even the administration of the method in the mid to uh, you know, say the 2007 to 2013 timeframe, that's dealing with older voting equipment, workaround situations, um, lack of, of standardization or best practices. And, and really, that's one of the reasons why we ever came together as the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center is that we had nothing to draw from when George and I were administering Ranked Choice Voting in North Carolina. And we knew that those best practices needed to be shared. We've done the usability studies now with the Center for Civic Design. And the voting equipment companies, the vendors, have, have really improved on what they can offer with their latest voting equipment um, and voting systems. And so I think what George and I wind up having to do, and, and all of us when we're, when we're talking to folks, is to uh, bring the conversation into where we are today and not just use the what is now historic information as the basis of whether it's feasible or possible in a jurisdiction today. 
Right. And I think information, even though it still travels fast now through the internet, I think it's in some ways traveling slowly through the election administration field. So making sure that everybody is on the same page about where ranked choice voting administration is, is definitely a big challenge uh, we're facing with not just testimony, but in sort of all facets of our work as ranked choice voting educators. Um, and with that in mind, what are some key points that you share when when you're talking with policymakers about ranked choice voting? Uh, Chris, I think that's probably the most important thing that, you know, that we can communicate to these policymakers is that ranked choice voting is not some new and experimental voting method. No, it's been in use uh, since the mid to late 1800s, uh, and it's currently being used by multiple jurisdictions, both in the United States and in other countries. So if we can get that message across to them, uh, I think that's probably the most important. And my thoughts are much like George. I think that while ranked choice voting is not new to us because we have administered the voting method, and it's certainly been in practice in the U.S. and other countries for some time. Often when I appear before these governing bodies, it's still a new concept for them. And in a matter of minutes, I have to, or, or George or others have to make a make very succinct points to affirm that this is a proven voting method, that the voting equipment is ready, that voters do understand and mark their ballots effectively. And this can be accomplished without major overhauls in the voting processes. I'd also point out that we have to recognize and appreciate that with state legislators, it's tough. They are in session for very short windows of time. They also have to process and become proficient on a multitude of issues outside of ranked choice voting. I mean, it can be education, science, healthcare, budgets. I mean, you name it. Think of the issues that pass before a legislator. So we have to respect that they will lean on the bill sponsor to craft a good bill and they'll turn to their legislative aid to do the research and report back to them. And they'll also have to weigh this bill on ranked choice voting that may be brand new to them as a concept. They'll have to weigh that against hundreds of other bills that they're um, considering at that point in time. Right. And this leads into the next question. What do you think makes your perspective different when you're testifying? Well, I think for both, certainly for Karen and I, uh, not only have we spent, you know, a good bit of time in recent years studying numerous jurisdictions and, and what kind of experience other people have had, but we have also done it ourselves. Uh, you know, we have, we went in, in 89 days from, from start to finish, we conducted a statewide ranked choice voting election here in North Carolina. Uh, I was at the county level, Karen was at the state level, so you know we've covered the gamut of, of really the perspectives and the and, and what has to be done in order to make it work. And uh, not too many people have had that experience. And I like to say that I still wear my election administrator hat when working for the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. I think George does, um, and Gary and Connie, Rosemary. We've we've all been election administrators and we 
focus still on how to improve election administration, and in this case, the conduct of ranked choice voting elections. And once policymakers hear that, um, that I have actual experience, that our approach is different than than activists or advocates that were really here, still in that election administration capacity, that those are our goggles still, then they tend to ask different questions. Um, I could also say that while there's data and research and analysis to support our work and the perspective of others, there's just something about having been face-to-face with voters, whether they are voting for the first time or the 100th time, um, that means that we have a perspective that's really tangible. And though sometimes it sounds somewhat anecdotal, it's it's real. We've watched voters be upset about the voting process or cry about the voting process or smile and want to have their picture made. Um, it's not just empirical. It's not just data on a piece of paper for us. And when we share that perspective, it seems to really resonate, even though they still do want to hear the data and the mm-hmm. findings and things from us. Um, <laughs> that's, I think, where we offer that different perspective. Mm-hmm. Putting a face to the data and to the profession. Exactly. Okay, one final question. Are there any differences you've seen uh, in the familiarity, uh, legislators or whoever is serving on panels you're testifying to, their familiarity with ranked choice voting over the past few years? Yeah, of course, I think the biggest difference I've seen is that there is a far greater awareness of ranked choice voting among policymakers than there was even two years ago. Uh, we talked about the fact that there's still a lot of misconceptions uh, about it, but there is a far greater awareness uh, now. Um, we have a lot of, of things to clear up, but we don't have to probably start from scratch as to you know exactly what is it, why is it, and that sort of thing. They're a little bit more aware uh, of the whole issue than they have been than they were in the very recent past. Couldn't agree more with George on that. I think we spend a lot less time explaining what ranked choice voting actually is and more time now talking about what we've learned through its use and the improvements in administration and, and what's actually possible. Um, I think we all realize that it it still may not be the talk of the dinner table at this point, but <laughs> policymakers are, are certainly hearing about it. Um, and it's a term that they are from becoming more familiar with and, and are actually taking a look at. Um, the other thing is that I think I've actually had the opportunity to go um, back to the same legislature. I've, I've been on hand for a RCV bill in the previous session and, and now come back, say, this year, um, like I did in Virginia. That's not a bad thing that the bill didn't pass the first time out of the gate. Um, what it means that I get called back is that there is continued is- interest and and it's less of a new concept and that they are becoming familiar with the subject. And the questions really have changed in that respect from what is this to okay, we were more familiar with it. We're hearing more about this. So what are some of the specifics and how would it affect 
our jurisdiction. That that's the the benefit of that bill returning, and and having folks who still um, try to advance it in in another legislative session. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. I think this was a really uh, interesting conversation about what testimony is and getting a bit more of a peek behind the curtain into the legislative process. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. And now here's our executive director, Gary Bartlett, with this month's final round, where we share an interesting bit of trivia, useful tidbit, or just something we thought was cool for folks to know about ranked choice voting. Did you know that some form of ranked choice voting has been used in elections in the United States since 1912. That's the year Maryland adopted ranked choice voting for their state partisan primaries. They used RCV ballots with two rankings to select candidates for governor, state house, state senate, and other state offices until 1939. Other states such as Florida, Indiana, and Minnesota used similar systems in the early 1900s, too. And that's the final round. Thank you for joining us today for our February RCV clip. This is a monthly segment produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. Follow us on Twitter at RCV Resources, on Facebook and LinkedIn at Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center, and check out our website, rankedchoicevoting.org, for more RCV resources. You can find our show anywhere you get podcasts. Please take some time to subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast, too. Our theme music is Flutterbee by Poddington Bear. Until next time, I'm Chris Hughes on behalf of George Gilbert, Karen Brinson-Bell, Gary Bartlett, and the rest of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center.